When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Mike Brown, author, nerd, and host of the Dark Poutine Podcast. Join me and Morgan Knudsen, author, paranormal researcher, and host of the TV shows Paranormal 911 and Haunted Hospitals, as we take you on a journey for the curious about the unseen, the mysterious, and the incredible things happening in the world about us. Welcome to Supernatural Circumstances. Looking back on my life, my all-time favorite people have always been storytellers. And funnily enough, everyone has a story to tell, so I guess I just like people. I love to listen to folks share their experiences, even from events in which I was involved. Perspectives are always different from person to person, and you can learn a lot about someone just by listening to them tell a tale of even the most mundane things. Yes, I'm one of those weirdos who find the dreams of others fascinating. In this episode, Morgan talks about the importance of the storyteller in Tales of the Paranormal. And later on in the interview portion of the show, you'll hear from a well-known storyteller when you hear our conversation with documentary filmmaker Seth Breedlove. Hailing from Ohio, Seth's interest in cryptids, folklore, and other stories of the unexplained led him to found the production company Small Town Monsters in 2015, through which he has written, produced, edited, and directed a variety of short and feature films. He's covered a ton of the biggies, from The Beast of Bray Road, The Boggy Creek Monster, The Mothman of Point Pleasant, American Werewolves, and most recently, Bloodlines, The Jersey Devil Curse. You can find Seth Breedlove's films on different streaming platforms and can learn more at smalltownmonsters.com. Now, here's Morgan. The arts have always had a foundation of storytelling. Whether it be film, television, books, painting, dance, or theater, or simply a tale by the fireside, humans have been gifted with the ability to capture one another's imagination through expression. It is a rather new thing for humanity to begin to extend this art to true stories of the paranormal, and this can run us into trouble or become a mode of truthful expression. We have the ability to enhance, elaborate, examine, and even lie about stories depending on the outcome the producer wishes to have. It takes a unique individual to be able to hear human stories and then retell them in a way that allows the audience to examine the content. This is something we rarely even do for ourselves. In my book, The Gift of Instinct, I give prime examples of how stories can become more than they were ever intended to be. The Dybbuk Box, Slenderman, and even stories with an underlying course of truth like the Jersey Devil and Mother Leeds. And yet, in many cases, these folkloric stories can be examined to discover a truthful reality. And without the storyteller, these stories are forgotten and lost to our busy and sometimes controversial history. This is perhaps the very importance of the storyteller themselves. They are the preservers of time past and the keepers of the stories of ages. How we tell a story can say much about a person and less about the subject, and nowhere do we see that more than in the case of the paranormal and reporting in general. How someone decides to tell a story has the ability to allow the audience to draw their own conclusions and encourage critical thinking, or to shut down discussion with rhetoric and criticism. It can spark wonder and imagination, or it can frighten us to never inquire into a subject again. The importance of the storyteller, especially in regards to the paranormal and folklore, is absolutely crucial. It becomes a glimpse into the mindset of the time or era and an understanding from which a storyline or line of thinking 
began. In order to get to the truth of any matter, one has to be able to think. Without thinking, we lose the ability to get to the bottom of a story. A storyteller of the paranormal has a very unique position. They get to guide the viewer through a range of emotions, thought, and sometimes facts to seek a conclusion, whether it be their own or the storyteller's. This doesn't mean a person will reach the conclusion the storyteller intends, and in the case of Slenderman, that was such an example. Eric Knutson writes a horror story for an online magazine, and not long after, two young girls attempt the murder of their third friend in Wisconsin, stabbing her multiple times and leaving her for dead. This is where the role of the listener becomes crucial. The ability to not only listen and receive stories, but also to tell our own. What dialogue are we telling ourselves on a daily basis? Each one of us is a storyteller, and how we tell our own story, especially when we have a paranormal encounter, will determine how we progress with the world afterwards. We rely on both the story keepers of the world and our own ability to shape our narrative, to refine how we see our reality around us. The story keepers must never be taken for granted because it is the crucial process of retelling, no matter what the format, which allows us as humans to hold on to tales that offer us clues into our future. They aren't simply a representation of outdated ideas or silly stories, but rather information that we may otherwise forget, which allows us a fuller understanding of where we are going. I am really, really glad as, you know, we were mentioning uh, off air, uh, Seth, that we are just really glad to have you. So welcome to Supernatural Circumstances. And uh, uh, Seth, meet Mike. Mike, meet, meet Seth. <laughs> hey, Seth. Welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's, it's our pleasure, you know. And uh, actually, just about two days ago, I, I got done with your latest uh, documentary uh, bloodlines uh, about the Jersey Devil, and you again did a stellar job. So congratulations on that. Cool, thank you. Did I did I send you guys a link? I should have done that if I did not. I am always happy to support the artist, so <laughs> okay, don't feel bad. No, yeah. I I, I it, it was great, and um, you know you you have this knack for for storytelling and uh, you know being able to convey the facts within something that's really entertaining and it was it was just really 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 good and we did a number of uh what was it? almost a year ago mike that we did the jersey devil mm -hmm. yeah it's been quite some time it's been quite some time yeah we, but it was yeah as i say just fantastic and um but I, I wanted to get into this a little bit with you about what you do with with small town monsters because I think what you're bringing to the table with, uh, the, you know, this documentaries that you do are, is just phenomenal. And uh, but you didn't start there. You started as a as a filmmaker in Ohio. W what was your initial want to tell story through film? Where where did that where did that start for you? Oh, wow! You're you're starting off on my kind of foot. Um, <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. No. Um, well. I mean, actually, like I, I, I did start with STM. I mean, technically, um, before this, I was like a medical biller. And before that I did, I tiled floors. And before that I repossessed homes and I did some FedEx ground delivery driving. And so I'm, I'm not a filmmaker by certainly not by education. I had no formal education in filmmaking. Um, but we, yeah. Um, my mom, I guess, is the reason I'm into film. Um, she, we were raised um, on on like the Marx Brothers and Ray Harryhausen movies. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So like, I grew up uh, into the. My mom was a, a like an OG geek. Uh, you know, in the in the, she's like the 50s and 60s before that was a thing. Um, she was she was like the ultimate nerd. Uh, when she was a kid and um, she's the one that got me into filmmaking. Uh, and um, that was, I guess, you know, you know, like watching um, Harry house and, and especially like the hammer horror stuff, which we reference back to a lot visually in our movies, you know, even today. Um, 
that's that's what got me into filmmaking like that's what made me aware that filmmaking was a thing and that people actually made these movies and they didn't just magically appear in front of us um, (laughs) which i think people still think that sometimes yeah no and it's definitely as a kid um as a kid it's it's totally normal for that to be the case and i i still remember like i remember um the first time i watched uh, a movie where I was, I became like vaguely aware that people made m- movies was, um, was seeing uh, King Kong at the, uh, there was a car dealership and my dad was buying a car, <laughs> which used to be a very extensive process that would take most of the day. And I remember watching King Kong on the television there and they, they kept cutting to, to, these like behind the scenes photos and stuff about Willis O'Brien um, doing the stop motion on the movie. And that was the first time I became aware that people made movies. Um, I don't know if I had any interest in making a movie myself until I saw Harry Housen and, and hammer horror stuff. Um, but that was where like, it all began for me with like, you know, monsters and, and that kind of, kind of thing. I'm not a big horror guy. Um, I don't love like the horror genre. In fact, like I watch very few horror. I think the only horror movie I've seen this year is Nope. Um, but I, I'm a monster fan and I guess that plays into what we do. I don't know how to marry the two. Like, I don't know how to marry cryptids and the paranormal with like my interest in filmmaking. I just, I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker when I was a kid. Um, uh, but, but I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a real dolt. Like I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> dumb as a box of rocks. Like I barely graduated high school. And, um, and so like the, the fact that I'm making movies is really wild because, um, this is the only thing I'm good at. And, uh, when I was, when I was graduating high school, I, I had no idea what I wanted to do and filmmaking seemed unrealistic, uh, despite the fact that I was making short films with friends on like, Sony handy cams that we would splice together in Apple movie and things like, you know, like all the stuff that you did when in the, in the very, yeah, the very early, (laughs) the very early days of like digital. um, And we have those movies lying around somewhere, but they weren't, they weren't about cryptids or anything. Like we, we made a lot of like Christopher guest inspired yeah, that was my Dawson. next question actually was what what did those look like yeah before, they're very before that they're very like uh yeah like waiting for guffman-esque uh yeah. this is spinal tap uh style <laughs> like parodies um i don't have a problem with any of that just so you, you know, know i know <laughs> i think this is great yeah. <laughs> yeah that was the kind of stuff we did um we we made two i remember there were two longer form ones one was called blue collar afternoon one was called blue collar morning um they hopefully will never see the light of day i remember there was a lot of male nudity in one of them <laughs> oh no and so like like not not like purpose not like anything sexual just like way too much butt butt sure <laughs> on camera um so we that's what that's what we we made was just not like silly nonsense um when we were kids and that's like we're talking like 99 through like mm-hmm. 2003 so this is like the burgeoning days of like jackass and CKY and that kind of stuff so we were we were in that camp um you know like i don't know post punk emo phase of our lives and that's our our movies are a weird mix of like our our we all everyone in my group loved christopher guest and we we loved the idea of like the um yeah like the mockumentary in those days which just to head it off at the pass uh in case anyone listening to this thinks that i'm secretly like pulling some sort of fast one on every one of my movies or a mockumentary they're not yeah yeah. <laughs> well, and, and you know, it, it's funny because every everything you're saying reminds me of when I was a kid. And uh, I remember when my my business partner, Stephanie, and I, when we were first faced with the task of creating uh, like a, an actual live presentation. And it wasn't a very large group of people, but we wanted to we wanted to bring that theatricality to it. And and it, just like you're saying, I, I remember, you know, getting out the she had a little, like two little Sony cams and mm-hmm. they were, you know, still with the little tapes and yep. whatnot. And oh yeah. That's what and we, we shot on. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was, you know, I have, I have such fond memories of that. But I, you, I'm still you, like, I'm still not clear on how those worked like now because yeah. you would shoot to tape, but then you would, I remember there was a USB plug that would plug into my, yes, my right. iMac and somehow yeah. you would edit, but there was this lag that would happen. I mean, we oh, I edited, remember it well. Yeah, we edited <laughs> full movies that way, like forty-five-minute oh, wow. short films, like bizarre. I, I can't. the The patience must have been through the roof. But I think it's what we had, though, at the mm-hmm. time, you know. And it's like, and when it's what you have, it's what you deal with, right? You know. It, but I, it, that's so. Uh, that's so funny. So you, but you began like when you got in with uh, to to small town monsters. You picked the Minerva monster first. Why was that your first pick? Um, when, so I worked at a medical billing job in Canton, Ohio, um, which I got purely by luck. Um, I was not, like I said, I, I really, I'm like, I'm, I'm not a very intelligent guy. And that was like the job that would have me for some reason, uh, mostly because it was data entry and I knew someone at the job who could get me in. Um, and I spent a lot of time, um, kind of sitting at a at at my computer what i should have been doing is working but i was mostly like reading about cryptids and listening to podcasts like beyond the edge the old beyond the edge radio that had uh eric altman was one of the big ones that i used to listen to back in the day um Mm -hmm. which is fitting because that's like you know like we we've done a, a pretty decent amount of material about the chestnut ridge and that show was all about the chestnut ridge but um yeah, I when I was doing that, I had had the idea at some point about doing a um a a book, writing a book about um writing a book about cryptids and their impact on rural communities because I uh, I can write or I could write. I don't think I can anymore. But I used to be a fairly good writer. It was like the only thing I was decent at, other than now filmmaking. But back then, I I um, I was a writer, and I ended up getting a bunch of freelance gigs with like local newspapers. And I would, I would do, I used to do like a front page column for a local newspaper that was about like small business that was called slice of life. And then I would write film reviews and things like that. And somewhere in there, I, I became familiar with the Minerva monster case. Now I was familiar with the Minerva monster as a local legend all the way back to you know my earliest memories because i grew up in a town called bolivar which is only like 20 minutes down the road i mean as the crow flies it's probably like eight miles away from minerva and so at night you know the kids would say don't go out in the woods or the minerva monster will get you there's that kind of thing flying around in our neighborhood Uh, but i never knew what that was really until i got older and around this time is when i really became familiar with that case and i had actually put so i put together a book proposal and then before i'd even had the book accepted i started calling members of the family the caton family and the catons were this uh, for those that are unfamiliar the minerva monsters this bigfoot case from the late 70s that involved a, a family named the catons who lived right off the lincoln highway outside of minerva ohio who had encountered this large hair-covered creature that would come down off the hill behind their house the forested hill behind their house and um they would see it on an almost nightly basis and um it 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 seemed docile enough until eventually they found one of their dogs, their German shepherds uh, dead with its neck snapped, uh, ripped out of its collar and its neck snapped. And um, so I had started looking into the case and then I'd actually found contact information for the family and started talking to various members of the family over the phone. Uh, And this is all the way back in 2013. Um, So in 2014, 14 the summer of 2014 i had become friends with uh these two guys um who uh had a a decent amount of videography equipment that they weren't really putting to use and i wanted to make a documentary about it um and and i ended up talking to them about doing this minerva monster documentary what's funny is we talked about filmmaking and how i wanted to make a a movie like be a filmmaker and all that kind of stuff i 
I never connected what we were doing to what I had wanted to do for a living until the movie came out. So in, <laughs> like we started filming in, I think like July of 2014 and it came out in May of 2015. And it wasn't until I saw the lines of like people wrapped around the block because 1200 people came out to see Minerva Monster wow. uh, when wow. it, when it premiered and um, that town through a festival based around its launch. And uh, it was, that was the first time I was like, Oh, we made a movie. Like we made a movie that people want to see. Um, that was the first time I considered what I was doing filmmaking. And then like from there, you can see with, especially with beast of Whitehall, beast of Whitehall, you can start to see the, I guess like the, um, you know, some of the, the things that inspired me when I was a kid, start to come into play um sure. i watch i watch a ton of movies and especially documentaries and always have um and i think you can that's see, always been my interest too I, yeah. I totally agree yeah that's so like you i'm not i'm not super into horror but i i love the documentaries around this stuff because to me it's just to me that's where the fascination is you don't have to make up something scary right yeah so that was how it all blossomed i guess was in 2015 the movie came out and then i realized we were making movies and then i was like okay i'm gonna take what we made what little we made because at that time and it's funny because it's just 2015 but it, even in 2015 there wasn't really a digital platform for me to launch anything onto completely independently other than youtube mm -hmm. and uh we didn't do that we didn't put it on youtube we put it on dvd and blu-ray and then the next year 2016 amazon opened up their uh uh they're now defunct uh creator platform which i can't even remember the branding that they put on it but that was how we we made our name was we put um beast of white hall was out by then and uh minerva monster and boggy creek monster those three all came out around the same time on that platform and they really exploded and that's what led to the you know us doing what we're doing today which is just trying to do everything independent that we wish television and uh, major movies would do. So small towns are your bread and butter, obviously. Uh, what is it about small towns that uh, you think is, is attractive? What attracted you to this uh, as a, yeah. as an interest? Yeah. Well, I grew up in a small town. Bolivar is a tiny town. Uh, to, I, I want to say it's less than, 2000 people live in, in, in Bolivar. Honestly, it might be less than that. Um, so I grew up in a small town, but my really, it's probably from staring out the window of my parents' van, uh, while we traveled through small towns around the U S when I was a kid, cause my parents owned a bookstore and, uh, we did book shows on the weekend from, uh, March every year through November. Uh, we were on the road, um, doing, doing book shows and setting up at at historical book seminars around the country. And we spent a ton of time in small towns. So I think that's where my like love for like, like Mayberry on, yeah. <laughs> on like Andy Griffith, you know, like that, that kind of thing. I was fascinated by that, but I, I did notice when I was first getting into this, that these, the cases that really were attractive to me, they weren't centered around like Houston mm -hmm. or, or you know chicago it was centered around some small town in the middle of nowhere you know in missouri or something and and i was interested in how how that case or that monster story or whatever would impact those communities but yeah the fact is i i'm i'm like a i grew up in the sticks and i'm a I'm a, uh, yeah, I'm a country boy, despite the fact that I'm not a country boy. Like I don't listen to country music or drive a pickup truck, but um, <laughs> but like I, I'm I'm much more comfortable in the middle of nowhere. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I I get that, and and I small towns like I'm here in in Edmonton, Alberta, and I mean Alberta is the uh, explosion of small towns everywhere, hmm. and it's it's interesting because the over the years of investigating and visiting some of these places that people in small towns, I find it's either been 50-50, either people really want to talk or they do not want to talk. Mm -hmm. Have you found that too? Yes, 100%. Yeah, they either, they're either all in or they, they want you to go die. Um, yeah, I <laughs> Sounds mean, right. like, yeah, that's, no, that is, that's, that's 
a, a really accurate way of putting it the way you put it. Um, we, we, so I've lucked out in the last year or two years, I guess now that Heather's been with us, but Heather does my, my quote unquote research for, for STM now, but for the first like five years of the company, I did all those phone calls and asking people if they would do interviews. And that's the most common thing you run into is, is people are either all about it or they're hanging up on you or, or trying to figure out what you're wanting to get from them. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, like it makes sense. You're, you're talking to people in rural communities a lot of the time who are concerned that they're going to be like the laughing stock uh, in a, in a very small community where everyone knows everyone. Um, and some people don't care and some people care very much. And so that's a, that's a really common thing that we run into. I mean, it's when you go on, when you go on an actual shoot, that's, that's when all the, all the chips are on the table because, you know, like you're, we've, we've had communities where we were threatened with jail time for filming anywhere near certain locations. And then we've been in other locations, other towns where, you know, all the doors are open to us and we can do anything we want. And we're treated like local celebrities or something. Um, and honestly, I don't have a preference. I don't care. I, I work, I can work either way. Um, you know, one thing I'm, somewhat decent at is not maybe not convincing people sounds like the wrong yeah. like i'm trying like i'm trying to pull one over on someone but right. I'm, I'm good at talking to people and and putting them at ease um that's like the the one thing i'm somewhat somewhat good at i mean that's why we are where we are honestly because minerva wouldn't have happened if i hadn't managed to get the people involved that we did get involved and i was able to do that because i grew up from their part of the the state and um you know i'm i was relatively uh convincing in that they thought i knew what i was doing even though i i i had no idea what i was doing then and i still have no idea what i'm doing today (laughs) yeah i you know it's it's funny though that that you know, you you mentioned that with with some of the the people we had a a, ta- a small town here that uh, a friend of mine and I investigated uh, for a while, and I, I remember we were going door to door. It was very rural, rural Alberta farms and and things like that. And I remember this one incident where we actually went to the house of the local historian and she was really excited that we were interested in the local history and she thought that was great. And she, you know, said, you know, come on in. And so we're standing there talking to her and she was like, well, what, which, which town is it that you're interested in? And we told her and it like her face changed as mm. we were talking with her. And mm. she said, we can't talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. And if you knock on any doors that and ask questions about that, you're likely to get shot. Mm-hmm. And it was it was the craziest thing. And we just kind of backed out of her house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like you're, but and we kept investigating the the case and whatnot. But it was it was shocking just how much weight and gravity this stuff has in in these these small areas. Do you find that there's occasionally a sort of a darker history to a lot of places that people don't want to talk about and it's until you start digging that that you start to to figure out what it is uh the only one that stands out that i can immediately think of is um is bray road um right other than that you know like i've had that almost exact same interaction with a historian actually um, really yeah especially well, I feel like, a little less lonely <laughs> yeah especially like historical society um mm-hmm. people like they don't they don't want you there not they like i i, I don't want to talk that way because we've had the opposite happen but um a lot of them don't want to they want their town to be the focus of your interest or or their county or whatever to be the focus of your interest but they don't want it to be the weird side of that because they feel yeah. like they're they're going to get painted as uh you know you know this is the place where bigfoot seen or this is the place where ghosts are seen or whatever um but uh yeah we've i've i've definitely i've run into that exact thing uh m- 
multiple times. The only time where I've run into what I think is a, maybe a dark underbelly or something is, and I don't even know if I should say this out loud, but like Bray Road is, is the is the thing. Like there was, yeah, there were there were things, and you know, like Chad and those yeah. guys, like from up in that area, like they, they they've probably told you way more than I could. But um, there there's definitely something off about Elkhorn. Wisconsin there's something off to yeah. me about Wisconsin in general uh there there just seems to be like a a weird something something's happening under under the surface there that I'm I'm not clear clear about but um that's the well, only Ed, one Ed Gain was from Wisconsin so you right. know, that kind of yeah. says a lot Ed Gain the the slender man stabbing yeah, thing exactly mm-hmm. how to make a murderer was set right. there um but that you know I mean there's the the really awesome i love that story about the the night watchman at the the uh the school up there it wasn't a school it was like a, a sanitarium um it's not in elkhorn but it's it's the the we covered it in our bray road where the night watchman was patrolling around the graveyard at night and, and said he saw a werewolf that was saying gadara um yeah there's a oh, there's wow. a lot of really cool stuff uh in that area but i do think there's there's you know we were ta- i mean we were talking to like people who are are involved with the local government who felt like there was weirdness afoot uh in elkhorn even with like highly placed uh government officials and things like that in that area yeah it's very similar to alberta and, it, and I've had this this conversation a number of times with 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 Chad, actually, with Chad Lewis and um, where Alberta's got the exact same vibe. And interestingly enough, it's very similar terrain wise. Like we have it's basically a mirror image of Wisconsin, mm. but same same type of vibe. And we have very much the same type of phenomena here. It's like a hotspot for all sorts of really bizarre things. But Alberta also has this sort of underbelly history that nobody that nobody talks about so that's that's really interesting with with uh, wisconsin as well Mm -hmm. Uh, so have you ever have you ever run into a case going in thinking you know i'm gonna film about you know i'm here to film about a creature and you find out things are just not what you expected (laughs) oh yeah i um yeah i mean i'd say nine times out of ten that's the case honestly wow Um, in in various ways, like it might not be anything paranormal, just just yeah. what I what I'm expecting of the area is not what I get. Um, Adams was like that with the Bell Witch. Um, mm. You know, it, it it was it's played up on television as this very like creepy community uh, where you come into it and you can sense the bell, Witch's presence and all that kind of stuff. They it's, it's interesting because they play point pleasant the same way uh, in West Virginia where the Mothman was seen, you know, like it's right. this, some sort of nexus of weird. <laughs> uh, and then <laughs> yeah. you get there and you're like, Oh, this is, this is like a sleepy Ohio river town that is strangely um, peaceful. Like the like this very serene place where I go. I mean, I've I almost moved to Point Pleasant at one point, um, but the, the, yeah, many places we we run into things not being as they appear. Uh, mostly because you know I think so so many of these locations, our perception of them are are predicated on years of like either television documentaries or paranormal authors or whatever the case may be and so you go into a place maybe expecting something that that isn't isn't actually there like you expect something that isn't that isn't there do you think that adds to community mistrust as uh with people who are interested um all these people have been there before and maybe they've been portrayed in ways that they don't quite like well, yeah, definitely. If it's television, if you're dealing with television, I, I mean, honestly, at this point, I'm to the I'm to the place where um, if something's been covered by TV, I'm really, mm-hmm. I'm I'm really he- hesitant to get into it. Um, you know, like with Adams, uh, we were coming in two, three years after Ghost. What is it, Ghost? I don't watch a lot of ghost shows, but Ghost uh, Ghost Adventures had been there, and. Um, 
whatever had happened with them, they had really left a bad taste in people's mouth. And that doesn't and, surprise me somehow. Yeah. And people were not thrilled that we were there. Um, uh, thankfully, we had Tim Hansen on our side. Tim is the the local historian in Adams, and he he got us into anywhere we needed to go, and he vouched for us multiple times. Um, but yeah, I think television, you know, and I've dealt with TV people. Um, that that you got to be careful when you're talking in general terms, like TV people and television, because you're, yeah. you know, there's just people that are trying to do their job and. Unfortunately, if if their job is is, you know, being told what to do by some suit that they're going to do everything they can in their power to do that job so they don't lose that job. And it isn't that they're a bad person. It's just that they're trying to do do their job. So there is a you know, you got to be careful. But um, thank I mean, that's the good thing about us is we don't have that. There there isn't a a guy in a suit uh, presiding over STM. I own the company, but there's so many, you know, we're at what six or seven people on the payroll here. And we all kind of do what we do. Like we don't, I don't tell people what to do really. I try to guide things, but we're not, I don't tell Heather when she needs to talk to someone that she has to convince someone to do something or, or lie to someone, you know, to get them in a movie or anything like that. It's just just not how we function. So I do. Yeah. I do think that, that these, uh, the, a lot of these small towns are are very hesitant because of their their interaction with television in the past, um, and especially movies. Like if if a film is involved, a fictional film, it gets real dicey. That's when things get real. Mm, like yeah, you, I could you see that. probably you're just not going to do it. Yeah, yeah. I you know I I can imagine, and you know, and you've done you've done so much in the obviously in the world of film and, and documentary but what i love about what you do and the what you bring to the table is you, you know you don't just go and and record interviews but often you're shooting live in these specific areas that this stuff has happened what what has that been like for the you and the, and the crew um yeah i mean <clears throat> we that's my favorite part of it um is is getting out and experiencing the places where we're going. Um, and our movie, I mean, our movies are broken down into various genres of documentary at this point. Like I think of the legend movies as being very like cinematic and marrying narrative film with documentary in an interesting way. Like bloodlines has these three little vignettes that are like short films within the documentary. It's, it's, it's an interesting documentary because it's a very dry documentary style that we brought to this one. Like I didn't want to, there's not like a lot of crazy um, visuals within the documentary portions. We wanted that to come in during the narratives, Um, you know, and then, but then we have something like on the trail of uh, the, on the trail of series. So like on the trail of UFOs or on the trail of Bigfoot. And that's a very, like, those are supposed to be, us in the field like experiencing things and and actually investigating the topics that we're looking into rather than solely letting our interview subjects tell the story um and then there's stuff like american werewolves which is entirely predicated on witness interviews um and so yeah so for me it's it all depends on the type of project we're working on like uh mothman legacy uh, you know, I, I've been to Point Pleasant numerous times. Um, and so when you go back there and you're just going to set up shop somewhere and interview eight people in a studio, it's a little different from something like on the trail of UFOs where we're going to travel to six different, seven different states over the course right. of like four, four, four or five days and interview numerous people and go on night ops and that kind of thing. But I think no matter what, the style of the project is we have so we we always learn more about where we are and and come to uh if not love where we are then at least respect it uh in a way and you know nine we're we never experience like just being flat out on we never experience anything 
like we, I get asked all the time, like, what's the most interesting thing that happened to you while you were in the field? And it's always like, right. well, yeah. you know, I mean, I can pull from like the two experiences that I've had in the field yeah. uh, over the course of like 70 years and 20 plus movies. Um, but I, I don't have spooky stories of our own because it never happens. We're there to, you know, we're there to film a project. I mean, occasionally when you're doing, you know, on the trail of Bigfoot's a little different. Um, Cause we're going a lot of the time we're going into places where it's supposedly an active area. So you might yeah. experience something, but you know, for the most part, like everyone was convinced I was going to come back like de de demon possessed from Adams. <laughs> and oh, I'm like, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I experienced nothing. I mean, I was told I would be in that cabin and we'd see levitating furniture and all sorts. And like, I was in there for four days. I filmed interviews. I sat in the attic by myself like I, I, I haven't experienced anything. We we filmed, what, seven or eight episodes of a series called On the Trail of Hauntings that no one's thankfully ever seen, where it was <laughs> it was mostly us just like going into haunted locations and then nothing happens. Like, <laughs> like that we just didn't. I haven't experienced a lot when we're when we're out in the field. Now I've ex, you know, I mean, on and off I've experienced things. The most I've experienced was here in Ohio in Minerva when I was making a. Uh, a series called the Bigfoot project. But other than oh, wow. that, you know, I, I, there just isn't, I don't have the spooky stories from the field, but that doesn't mean I come. I, it's like I said, I come away from every, every project with like a new, if not love, then at least a respect for where we just were. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. I, it's, it's funny too, you know, because I think that's, I think that's the stereotype that most people have about, things that are paranormal or cryptozoological or something like that, that this stuff just happens all the time. And it just simply doesn't. And mm. that's the one thing I know from for myself, which drives me a little crazy about some of the, the, the ghost hunting shows and things like this, is that, like you were saying, you've got somebody up above that's going, something better happen in every single episode. Right. And if it doesn't, then people are bored. And that's just simply not the way this phenomenon works. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't work on your time slot or your agenda or anything like that. It's this is, you know, this is a natural phenomenon that's going to happen when it happens. Yeah. My my mom, uh, she is a, uh, a registered nurse of 30 years. And of course, I do uh, the show Haunted Hospitals. And, you know, she was literally nursing in some of the, the busiest hospitals for, for 30 years and, and whatnot. Never experienced a thing. You know, and so it's just the way it's just the way this this stuff works. Mm. Yeah, I never I when it comes to the ghost stuff, I it's not my area of of I, I'm interested in the legend side of it, like what what originates a lot of these stories. But as far as like ghosts, it's never been one of my uh, areas of interest. But when we were making um on the trail of hauntings i mean we were going to places that are supposedly like if you go in there you're you're done like you're gonna you're gonna see like i was told multiple times that man when we did mansfield reformatory you're you're sunk like you if you if you're if, <laughs> if you're a skeptic you're coming out like 100 percent believer and i would go in and we would have i mean it was almost like the ghosts heard what was said and just decided they were turning it off for that day because i mean we'd have we'd have nothing happen the only thing during that series that i had happen was in a tiny little like unknown location in west virginia in sutton west virginia where the flatwoods monster museum is we were making an episode in a house and um someone had one of those uh what are the, like a spirit box or whatever the like oh boy sh it shifts through <laughs> channels right. or something like whatever it, i don't know i don't know what that stuff does but uh the the spirit box kept saying my name which kind of freaked me out but other than that yeah. i've never like i've never experienced i've never seen anything i've never never experienced like ghostly activity for myself now when i was a kid my parents owned a very historical building in downtown bolivar and we we all saw and experienced stuff in that building but uh, when i was actually looking for anything nothing ever happened well, and usually that seems to be the case. I mean, I, I think once once we're looking for something, we're conscious of the fact that something's not there. And usually what statistically what 
the what people have found is that usually these experiences tend to happen when we're not looking for it. You know, when our minds are wandering or we're doing something kind of mundane and we're kind of in that state of allowing. But as soon mm-hmm. as you start looking, you know, and Mike, we've talked about this before. Is as soon as yeah. you start looking, then you're aware of the absence of it, and that seems to be what you get is the absence of it. It's, it's yeah, interesting. So, one of uh, you mentioned American Werewolves. It hands down one of my favorite documentaries you've done. I don't oh, know cool. how many times I've seen it. Yeah, it was it was absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and Thank you. you, oh yeah, and you guys went down to the land between the lakes, which is probably one of the most unique cases of of dogmen I think that has been documented. Uh, you know and. You hit the, exactly what we were talking about, which is that people there seem to be be really, really divided. How do you handle that when when you get into that kind of a situation? Um, I mean, in that in that case, that's one of those movies where Heather handled handled a lot of this. <laughs> Fair stuff. enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like to, to, just to be frank, I mean, like she's that's her job now is to kind of take care of that for me. Um, but like we. Land Between the Lakes is interesting because the people directly from Land Between the Lakes, I, I don't even think a lot of them understand or realize that, that there's a connection to mm-hmm. to the weird uh, in the area. But mm-hmm. that is a place where um, if I had gone to Land Between the Lakes without ever hearing of it in conjunction with like Dogman or Bigfoot or any of it, I still would have been creeped out. Like there's just there's just something off uh, when you're there and, um, you know, I, I have, uh, my friend Joe Doyle and his, his wife, Jesse, like they go in there and, and, um, they do investigations for their Hellbent Holler series. And those are the type of people who understand that stuff more than I do. Like I'm not in that, in that case, especially I was not in the woods at night, like looking for dog man or anything. I was solely interviewing witnesses, right. but if I, I, that's not a place I would feel super comfortable just like packing in a tent and, and going into the woods for a few nights there. It's, it's just, there's something off about the whole thing. And, and there's such a history, especially the land between lakes. There's such a history there that something's gone on there. You know, like, especially when it comes to dog, man, I don't know what I think of the phenomenon. I have, inklings that it's a supernatural yeah. phenomenon not a not I a natural agree. yeah not a natural mm-hmm. thing but um you know there's a history of bigfoot sightings there too when you get in there you're like oh yeah like i could i could see that like there's 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 water there's a lot of un uh you know like the, the uh uninhabited land uh and really dense cover like it's it's a perfect place for a bigfoot um but that had nothing to do with the vibe there. It was just a weird, I mean, maybe it was the fact that we were there when it happened to be like super cloudy and raining and, and just creepy in general, but it's a, it's a strange place. Yeah. I, I, there's, there's areas up here that are, are, are very similar. And I know exactly that vibe that you're talking about where you just, you never quite feel alone. There's, there's something else that's going on. You can't quite put your finger on it. Mike is actually going to be up in in Edmonton here this coming weekend, and yeah, you'll you'll get to experience that, <laughs> Mike, when you get here. <laughs> it's it's really strange, and it's it's like you say, it's nothing that you can put your finger on. It's not like you know, okay, I know there's you know there's wildlife or or something like that. It's a completely different. It's a completely different energy. It's so strange. So it's interesting that Land Between the Lakes had that as well. Yeah, it's a it's an odd place. I can't honestly, other than that and um, certain areas on the Chestnut Ridge and then like, you know, like Bray Road, like Elkhorn area, I haven't experienced that. It's interesting that all the places that I've gone to that have that vibe are are connected to the dog, the dog man phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um because if if I think of the places we've gone that had that vibe, they're all they're all that you know. It's like deep deep woods, Louisiana, um, where we did the Ruguru movie, or yeah, the Chestnut Ridge actually has a, a long history of of werewolf or dogman sightings, and then land between the lakes. Those are some weird spots. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's one of the 
One of the subjects I think that fascinates me so much, and we've got a the audience knows we've got a, a dog man that lives very close to to where I am as well, and it's yeah, like the I I just find it completely fascinating. So when you get a when you, when you get into a town like this and you've done the filming, you've done the movie, the movie comes out. Do you ever what type of feedback do you get from these places, or do you get any at all? Do they just try to ignore it, or do they actually comment? Um. I think early on, it was much more obvious um, because early on when STM was especially like Minerva and Beast of Whitehall and Boggy, they all had a very uh, set and even Mothman and Point Pleasant, they all had a very set pattern for release. So we'd put the movie out and then we'd do some sort of premiere or festival directly in the area and you would have direct feedback from locals with invasion on right. chestnut ridge that changed and then it never has really fully switched back like we don't really i'm trying to think if i'm talking out of pocket here i can't we just don't do the level of like local press or local involvement that yeah. we used to in the earliest days of sdm mm -hmm. and that's more about the fact that we're doing so many projects because uh, we, you know, like we're we're making four or five movies a year and then all the YouTube stuff. So you just don't have time really anymore to go back to a community and do a big premiere. I don't know. As I'm saying this, I'm trying to think that we have, I don't know that we've done like a, a, a premiere in a community where we made a movie since um, Mothman and Point Pleasant. Like other, uh, it just, in a way, I guess it's a shame, but I do I do know that a lot of times, especially with something like Bray Road, the community doesn't want anything to do with the movie to begin with. Mm -hmm. And so when you when you're putting the movie out, they don't they don't really care to like host a premiere or have you bring in a premiere. Um and so we don't I don't think we get as much interaction with the community after the fact. Now I, I keep bringing up Bell Witch, but I do know I'm, I became friends with Tim Henson, the local historian and Adams um, when we were making Bell Witch. And I've actually made trips back there to hang out with him. And and in that case, I know that, you know, the community responded really favor, favorably to our our movie. I'm trying to think of any others, though, that 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 was the case. And I can't I I, I just can't do it when I'm, when I'm running through the list of what we made. I mean, something like skinwalker how of the ruguru like that town doesn't even exist as it did when we filmed there a couple of years ago wow. just because of of the uh the hurricane that came through right, right after like yeah. like so much of that area got wiped out that i the last thing on their mind was a documentary about a werewolf you sure. know yeah. after after yeah, the movie came out because most of the town's gone yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I can't even yeah I can't even imagine. I mean, so many of these little places, you know, they they just they either get lost either from, you know, act of God or you know whatever is is going on. And so many of so much economy, of that, economy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's mm -hmm. that's the the big one. I mean, that was what Terror in the Skies uh, was all about. Was and that's the one with Chad and Kevin. I yes. mean, um, that 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 whole movie is really about like the the vanishing landscape of like middle america um especially small towns because you know the illinois is the perfect place to set a story like that because um those little towns have dried up or or disappeared entirely um we made what was that wow man it's been a couple of years since i made that movie so i don't remember the name of the town but the the town lawndale that's what it is the lawndale incident where the the little boy was picked up by the giant bird and carried right when, when all that happened uh that town had uh a dance hall it had two or three grocery stores it had gas stations it had restaurants today you would not realize that's a town. Like if you mm. would, if you were told this was once a town, it'd be like, really? Like where, where was anything? Cause today it's, it's a few houses, a couple trailers, mobile homes sitting off the side of a, an interstate. Uh, the grain silo was actually closing down when we were there uh, for good. Uh, 
and that was like what was once a once a very prosperous small town is is completely gone um you know and you do wonder like if they had at some point embraced their their local monster if if they couldn't have salvaged at least some of the, you know the tourism impact to the local economy but yeah that is a danger i think for a lot of the small towns in in america especially north america especially is is you know the the economy closing up and uh, you know you know you get major uh, factories and things like that closing down and moving out and then the jobs go with it and then people disappear from that community and that community becomes five or six houses off the side of a highway somewhere yeah very very similar to canada as well uh you know we we see that quite a bit as i say rural alberta the prairies and things like that it's just it is it is so unfortunately common uh Mm. but this you know i think that that's what makes what you guys are doing so important because that you guys are the story keepers and mm. you know being able to create these films to you are you are documenting uh, folklore and history in a way that i think is is incredibly important and i mean i've got a background in film mike has got a background in film as well and i mm. i just think it's yeah i think it's really important what you guys are doing in the early days that was the case i think that's the case on some projects but i do i bristle a little bit anymore like the document like you're you're preserving and i appreciate the sentiment but i'm just like there there's some projects where you you're you're hitting something that's already been covered a million times you know like Mm -hmm. your hope is actually that you're going to bring something to the story that hasn't been brought before absolutely Um, i mean with a lot of these stories whether or not i ever cover it it'll be remembered um, but there are, you know, there are special ones in there. I think Momo was really special just because I, I feel like Momo is one where it, it, it was kind of like off the radar, like it had kind of drifted away and, and we, we brought it back and today they have a festival and, and I, I, I don't think a month goes by where I don't get some sort of Google news alert that like a local TV station in Illinois or Missouri did a story about Momo. And the same is true with like Minerva Monster. But I can't, you know, like whether or not I ever made the mark of the Bell Witch, the Bell Witch is a defining aspect of Tennessee, you know, and and I have no impact on that. The only thing I can hope to do with that kind of story is like bring our own take on it. Jersey Devil is a perfect example, actually, because yeah. like, you know, it's, it's going to stand the test of time whether or not Small Town Monsters ever does anything. But if we can bring uh some semblance of reality to 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 that story maybe that'll you know maybe that'll help play a role in the ongoing history of the of the legend yeah absolutely well i can't thank you enough for being here and taking the time because i know you you guys are are so crazy making the next film and and doing what you do and bloodlines curse the jersey devil tell people where they can download that and find that because it's amazing Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's uh, it's on Amazon and iTunes and Vudu and I forget where else. And our our distributor has been rough uh, this year, so it wouldn't surprise me if they just toss it up on Tubi like next week or something. So you might want to look if you don't <laughs> feel like paying for it. Like you can probably wait a week because they did that with American Werewolves. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean like uh it's it's available everywhere dvds and blu-rays are available at smalltownmonsters.com and and just in general if you're interested in what we're doing smalltownmonsters.com is the place to go absolutely great stuff thank you so much seth we so appreciate you yeah thanks for having me (laughs) thanks seth here's morgan for this episode's segment of spiritual health care in this episode's edition of spiritual health care the segment of the show where you get to be the creator and designer of your paranormal and spiritual experience, we're going to tell you about a process called Tune Into Your Smile Process. Sometimes when things seem overwhelming, the best thing we can do for ourselves is have a preset routine to turn to when we have trouble finding our center. Whether it be because we have experienced an emotional incident, are feeling overwhelmed because we have too much to do, or are simply feeling a a bit off, it can be helpful to have a series of steps already in place so we can find our center again. 
Add this process to your daily practice and see if you begin to feel a shift. Step one, shake it off. Literally, shake it off. Shaking activates the parasympathetic nervous system. So get up and physically shake your body. Shed the energy. Step two, breathe deeply. Breathing is exercising, source energy. It's flowing through your body. When we aren't breathing correctly, we stifle our inner connection. Step three, visualize yourself smiling from the inside out. Now, this might seem a little strange, but close your eyes and feel the sensation of a smile throughout your body. You'll be amazed that you will actually begin to feel a distinct shift. Relax into it. Smiling has a vibration. It isn't just an action and a facial expression. When we smile, it changes our brain. And when we continue with the action, even when we don't feel like it, it begins to shift our brain into a different emotional state. As it turns out, fake it till you make it actually might have some merit. Remember, you need nothing to be happy, but you need something to be sad. Remember, at the end of seeking, all is consciousness. Stay in peace, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Supernatural Circumstances, a co-production of Entity Seeker Paranormal Research and Teachings and Good Egg Studios. This podcast is part of the Curious Cast podcast network. Theme music by Corey Johnson of Catalyst Records in Edmonton, Alberta. You can find out more about Morgan Knudsen at EntitySeeker.ca and more about me and listen to my other show at DarkPatine.com. Feel free to email the show at SupernaturalCircumstances at gmail.com. Good night for now.